0: I'm going to be reading a short passage from Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. And then I'm going to look at three elements. So, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. Jesus, by the way, had just raised a little girl from the dead, he'd also delivered a man from a legion of demons. And it says, Mark takes up the story here. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed. At their lack of faith. Well, my subject this morning is moving from unbelief to trust. And uh, it's important to know where the root of unbelief comes from. How did it get there? How can we dig the root out? Is it simple to do that? Can it be done in a day? Can it happen through someone simply laying hands on me and me being released? Is it something that's peculiar to me alone? Well, as Christians, we believe that people are made in the image of God. We also believe that that image has been seriously damaged by sin. We believe that God's original intention for us was to live in perfect harmony with him. And when God made everything, we're told in Genesis that it was very good. There was nothing To spoil our wonderful relationship with him. It was completely uncontaminated. There was nothing to spoil our relationship. And at that time, our human parents had perfect trust in God. And we recognized at that point in human history that he was our father. And he loved us. And then sin entered in, we know, when Satan tempted us. And I say us because we're included in in our original parents. Sin entered in when Satan tempted us to doubt God. We read the story in the Garden of Eden where the serpent comes and Eve has a conversation with the serpent. Foolish thing to start with, but there we go. And the serpent tempts Eve. And God said to Eve, you must not eat an Adam from fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. The serpent says, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Make no mistake about it in human history. This is a deep, dark, evil shadow which is being cast. And I say it strongly, why? Because it causes us to doubt the very character of God himself. Satan is saying, in effect, God's unreliable. He cannot be trusted. He doesn't keep his word. In fact, he's out to spoil what you have. You certainly can't trust him. And we see unbelief comes in. From being made in God's image, where there was original trust in God, there's now doubt and unbelief. And the serpent, I have to say, is still among us, like some mutant poisonous python that wants to erode our trust in God with its poison and strangle our belief in its twisting coils. But God, as we know, who is rich in mercy, has a plan deeper Than the destructive plan of the devil. Who wants to alienate us from God. And I want to look at three elements today. One. Wrestling with unbelief. Two. Dealing with unbelief. And three. Seeing his love. Which is a big key. So let's look at the first one. Wrestling with unbelief. I guess if we're honest. All of us have rocks. Blockages in our faith. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand at this point, but I'm sure it's true. Neil talked a couple of weeks ago about the blockage of self-reliance, how we feel we can do things without God. We're independent from him. We can do without him, which actually most of the human race seems to think they can do. When you take time to think about it, it's laughable really, because our life is dependent on him. Jesus told that story, didn't he, of the farmer who had a barn, And he became rich and he wanted to build a bigger barn in order to store all his goodies in there. And Jesus said that God said to him, you fool this night. Your soul is required of you. So we have got no control really over, Jesus said, you can't even, uh, by worrying, you can't change anything. Anything. So we need God. Our life is dependent on him. And Jesus made it very clear. And last week, Rich talked last week about the blockage of fear. And how fear can paralyze our lives. And Jesus picked the disciples up for the lack of faith. It's very interesting, isn't it? In the story when Peter is in the boat. And Jesus walks on the water. And Peter says to Jesus, is it you, Lord? And Jesus says, yes. And Peter says, well, But, you know, Jesus says, come, come out of the boat. And Peter, bravely, in my opinion, gets out of the boat and walks on the water. No one else in human history other than the Lord has done that. And Peter sees the wind and the waves after a while. And he begins to be afraid. And he begins to doubt. And he sinks into the sea. And Jesus rescues him. And Jesus says to him something which I find at first odd. He says, you have little faith, why did you doubt Now, if it'd be me, I would have said, well done, Peter. You're the only one who got out of the boat. Nobody else out of the 12 of you got out of the boat. You're the only one. Well done. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There's another occasion, isn't there, which Rich talked a little bit about last week. When Jesus is in the boat with the disciples during the storm... And you can imagine this, the waves crashing against the boat and the water coming into the boat and the disciples rowing like mad and they're experienced sailors and they think they're going to die and they're waking Jesus up because they're so afraid. And Jesus says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? I guess if I'd been in the boat to know about you, I guess I would have probably reacted a bit like the disciples. And Jesus says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? On both these occasions, when Peter walks on the water and when the storm comes, Jesus demonstrates who he really is. That things are never out of control for him. Do you feel as if your life is out of control? Do you feel as if there are elements of your life that are out of control? Jesus is the master. Jesus commands the realm of chaos back into order. We sing that lovely song, don't we? He brings our chaos back into order. Not only that, but Jesus also commands the powers of darkness to obey him. There's that occasion when he goes to the land of the Gerasenes and there's a man who comes who is possessed by a legion of demons. It says in Mark's gospel, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Except one man, Jesus, who commanded that man to be free. There's nothing outside his control. When the Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant, but he says to Jesus, You don't even need to come to my house, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus says, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. These episodes demonstrate to me the value that Jesus places on our trusting him. And we had that lovely prophetic word that Richard gave this morning about trusting the Lord and how he values that. What issues are there in your life right now where you are seeking to trust the Lord, let me encourage you today to continue to put your trust in the Lord. I suspect that from time to time, we all wrestle with doubt about form or another. Some things we may feel that we've no doubt about at all. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I, I'm really you know, strong on this. There are areas in my life where I feel I'm really strong. So, for example, I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. I have never doubted that since I became a Christian about 45 years ago. I have a strong conviction about that which is pretty well rock solid. Maybe for you that's not an area. Maybe it's an area for you that sometimes you, you know, see-saw a little bit on. I don't know. I don't doubt as well that I'm loved by God. I don't doubt that because Jesus demonstrates that on the cross. So I can look historically, Christ came and he died on the cross. And it says in his word, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Well, I'm part of the world. And so if I'm part of the world and Jesus came and he died, so loved that he died, then he also loves me. So that's pretty rock solid in my life as well. But... I have to say that sometimes I question God's love in one sense. Does he love me in a personal way? I know he loves me because he loves the world. But does he love me as a person? Does he care about who I really am? Are there things that matter to me of any importance to him? Or does he simply want me as some kind of Christian robot? To do exactly what he says. So sometimes I see saw on this. Also on prayer. So sometimes I think. This is by the way. This is confession time. So please be gentle with me. And uh, afterwards. um, Is God interested in what I'm praying? Sometimes I have these doubts. Are the things. The situations. The people on my heart. Are they really of any interest to him? I mean he's creator of the rolling spheres, you know. He made all the cosmos and sustains the world by his power and satisfies the desire of every living thing. I get that. But what about my prayers? Why am I not seeing the kind of responses that I think might be good Now, I have to say as well that I get encouraged as well during times of prayer, with 40 days of prayer. Someone brings a lovely word from Revelation about your prayers ascend like incense before the throne of God. Wow, oh yes, I'm encouraged. And then they come down in the form of thunder and lightning and earthquakes and dramatic events happening and I get encouraged. But then I think, I'm not sure my prayers are like that. They're more like damp fireworks on bonfire night. Light the touch paper with expectation and great enthusiasm. And the Mount Vesuvius that's meant to erupt splutters into life and kind of dies before it gets going. And if I'm not careful, I can become a bit jaded and think, well, what's the point? What's the point? I wonder if any of you ever feel like that. So one of the things I do to try and counteract that as I write some of my prayers down, I have this book. And I don't write everything. I don't write every day. I write now and again. I certainly don't write every prayer. I started this on the 23rd of January, 2013. so And I haven't nearly finished the book. There's still a third to go. So, But I find it's helpful for me. And uh, I wrote this over three years ago on the 25th of February, 2015. I was praying for North Korea, as it happens. I was praying for a good government there. I was praying for something to happen in that nation that brought something good. I hated the thought of families being torn apart. They'd never seen one another for 50 years. The agony of that. And I thought, that's not right. Please, Lord, will you do something? The people there are oppressed. Your people are being oppressed in North Korea. Can you do something there, Lord? Of course you can. I know you can. I've seen it in my lifetime. I've seen you bring down the Berlin Wall. I've seen you put an end to apartheid in South Africa. Now, Lord, please, will you do something in North Korea? And I was praying in my heart, praying for North Korea. Don't ask me why. I'm not sure. Something just triggered in my heart. I've been praying fairly regularly for that nation. And I've been praying things like, Lord, that nation doesn't belong to China. It doesn't belong to America. It belongs to you. You can appoint who you want to rule that country because you're sovereign over all the nations. You raised up Cyrus, a pagan king, to do your will. You brought other people down. You can do whatever you like. It belongs to you, Lord. Please, will you let righteousness rain down upon that country? And so I've been praying that kind of thing. So I've been very interested to see what's been happening recently in that country. You know, it was only last year, wasn't it, that the leader of North Korea was insulting the President of the United States and the President of the United States was insulting the leader of North Korea and they were talking about bombing one another and my bombs are bigger than your bombs and and all that kind of stuff. And then lo and behold, something happens. Who knows? And I'm thinking, I'm not so big headed to think that, yeah, that's because I've been praying. But maybe I've been thinking, I I wonder if any of my prayers have had an influence in what's going on In that nation. Now I know there's a long journey to go, so it's a case of keeping praying about things, but I feel very excited about what's going on. It's all been very unexpected. And I've certainly been encouraged to keep praying. On the other hand, of course, there are many prayers in here where I've not yet seen the answer, they're older than 2015 as well. And I'm praying, praying for individuals who I want to see uh, come to know the Lord. And I'm asking the Lord to move in their lives and to bring revelation of who he is. I've not yet seen it happen. But I still want to keep praying. So there's an element of wrestling with my unbelief in terms of does God really love me personally? Is he really interested? And wrestling with do I believe that God is, of course I know he hears my prayers. I know it. I know the theory. I can quote the theory to you. But it's living out the reality of it. That I'm talking about here. So if you're wrestling with unbelief. I would just encourage you. To just keep trusting the Lord. A little bit more on that later. So dealing with unbelief. How can we deal with unbelief? Because it's one of the biggest blocks. To seeing God's work. Well. There's a few suggestions. Of how we might deal with our unbelief. First of all recognize it and repent. Okay. Unbelief takes us away from God's intention for us. Jesus, in the episode that I read, he comes to his hometown. Now, Jesus is anointed. He's anointed with the power of the Spirit. He got led into the wilderness, don't forget, by the Holy Spirit. And it says, and he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. So Jesus comes with a mission. I've come to give recovery of sight to the blind. I've come to set the prisoners free. I've come to comfort those who mourn. I've come to give beauty for ashes. So Jesus comes and he quotes from the book of Isaiah in the synagogue. And he's met with unbelief. Now he has intentions. He has plans. He can do many mighty miracles and things there. As he comes into his hometown. And he's greeted with unbelief. He says he could not do any miracles. Except heal a few people. Why? Because of their unbelief. When the children of Israel, led by Moses in the wilderness, came to the promised land, that God, they'd seen the mighty miracles that God had done in Egypt to deliver them. They'd seen Pharaoh's army routed. They'd seen the Red Sea part. They'd seen the provision of God. And they come to the edge of the promised land. And what happens? They don't get in. Why? Because of their unbelief. So unbelief is not good in our lives unbelief is bad unbelief is a stubbornness we refuse somehow to trust God now I know it can be easy to trust God when things are going well but we know that in life that's not often the case we know that in life often things do not go well and it's in those situations in particular where our trust needs to be strong so the children of Israel, they don't get into the promised land because of unbelief. So unbelief is something that needs to be repented of. We need to turn away from it. And we need to turn towards the Lord and say, Lord, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doubting you because that's what it is. For doubting you and who you are. And ask the Lord to help you. If you become cynical, when you hear stories of people's lives being changed, and there's an element of cynicism in you. Something that we need to repent. We can get disappointed and we don't deal with it in a healthy way. We, we let our disappointment sometimes become like a, like a poison within us. Like a weed. Like some kind of poisonous weed that if we touch it's going to damage us. We let it get in because we're disappointed. Something that we need to repent of and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please help me. And God also puts us in the church to help us. Because I have to say, my faith is not always high. You know, I need to speak to other people. I need to share what's on my heart. Even last week, I was sharing with Neil something that was troubling me. That was in my heart and it was weighing me down. And it's, I'm praying about it and I want to see change. and oh, But I needed to talk to somebody to help me. So I talked with Neil. Who was excellent and helped me and said he'd pray and prayed there and then. And we need that support. If you're not connected, can I encourage you to get connected here at Kings? So we need to recognize if we're in a state of unbelief and we need to repent. Because it's not good for us. And then we need to approach with faith. We need to recognize that we're a child of God. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're a child of the King. And because you're a child of the king, you no longer wear filthy robes, but you wear the robes of righteousness because of what Jesus has done for you. Not based on your merit, but based on the merit of the Holy Son of God. Therefore, I can approach the throne of grace with boldness to receive mercy, to help me in my time of need. Approach the Lord with faith that yes, he does hear me. Yes, he does care. He is interested. Because without faith it says it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Are you seeking the Lord? Are you approaching his throne of grace with faith? Jesus said seek and you will find. Ask you will receive. Knock on the door will be opened to you. So we need to approach with faith to deal with our unbelief. We need to experience his presence. This is so important. And thank you very much to the band this morning uh, for leading us so wonderfully. It was fantastic. I mean, well, I certainly loved it. And uh, had a great sense of the presence of the Lord. A great sense of the joy of the Lord being my strength again. A great sense of being together with God's people and worshiping together with one heart and one mind. What a a wonderful thing that when brethren dwell together in unity, there's a sense of the presence of the Lord there. The anointing of the Spirit comes. We need to experience his presence. Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He wants to meet with you. Whether it's through his word, whether it's in times of prayer, whether it's as we worship together, whether it's you're on a country walk with the dog, I don't know. But whatever it is for you, experience his presence. It's so important to deal with unbelief. Another thing we can do is we can look out for the kindnesses of God and be thankful. Easy to miss the kindnesses of God. Do you know the other week, we had a kindness from the Lord. It It was amazing. Totally out of the blue. Completely unexpected. Never gave it a thought. And here it comes. A blessing, an unexpected blessing from the Lord. We had this letter come through, come through the door from an insurance company. And it said, uh, I've not, by the way, I've got no policy with them. Okay? I had this letter come through from the insurance policy uh, people saying, you used to have a policy with us. I thought, oh yeah, so I did. I couldn't remember what it was about or anything. You used to have a policy with us and we've done rather well as a company and we'd like to send you a check for 100 pounds. Where did that come from? Two days later, lo and behold, this check for 100 pounds arrives. I mean, crazy, but there you go, so I, of course, banked it. (laughs) Look out, look out for the kindnesses of the Lord and be thankful. You know, our daily provision alone is something to be thankful for, isn't it? I mean, I opened the door of our fridge, and half the stuff's just falling out because it's so full, I'm thinking, do we really need all that stuff, and yeah, we do, because when the kids come to the house, the first thing they do is they go to the fridge and say, ah, there's no Coke. There's no cans of Coke, Dad. There's only this freeway from Lidl. I want the real thing. And be thankful. It's another Look out for the kindnesses of God and be thankful. It's another antidote to unbelief. Another thing we can do is celebrate the stories of others. And it was great to hear when Richard shared about yet another family delivered from the burden of debt. And we applauded. Well, praise God that we did applaud because it's something to be thankful for. Celebrate. It was great to have um, Jamie O'Connor and his wife Eva up here. I tell you what, it's a miracle. It's a miracle what the Lord has done in their, their lives. It's fantastic. And I've known Jamie since before he was born. Well, you know what I mean. (laughs) So I know something of his story. And what God has done in his life is thrilling. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's tremendous. Praise God. Let's celebrate the stories of others. So there's a few things we can do to deal with unbelief. We can recognize it and repent. I'm sorry, Lord. It's not good. It's It's a weed in my heart. I need to get rid of it. And ask the Lord to help you. Get connected with others to get their encouragement. Approach with faith. You're a child of the, of the Lord. Hey, you're born into his family. You can approach the throne of grace based on what Jesus has done. Experience his presence. Jesus is alive. Don't just sit there like a lemon. But approach with faith and receive from him. Look out for the kindnesses of God and be thankful. And celebrate the stories of others. The last thing I want to say is about seeing his love. We need ongoing revelation of who God is, not just information about him. Now, information is great. Knowledge is helpful. You know, I can read the Bible. I can quote bits from the Bible. You know, I can speak from the Bible. I can do stuff like that. And that's all helpful, but it's not enough. Jesus said to the people of his day, he said, you search the scriptures but actually the one who wrote them standing here and you don't recognize him. And I think sometimes as Christians as well, especially if we've been Christians for some time, you know, we've got a, a bank of knowledge, if you like, a bank of, of all that kind of stuff that we've banked over the years. That's good, that's helpful, but it's not enough. We have to have revelation and we have to have ongoing revelation of who Jesus is. Do we think that we've come to the end of experiencing God's love? Do we think that we've come to the end of experiencing something of the wonder and the splendor and the glory of who He is? No, no, no. We will never get to the end. That's why we need ongoing revelation of who He is, not just information. We need it through the Holy Spirit. God is our Father, everything comes from Him. I love the simple song You're a good, good Father, and I'm loved by you. Simple. My, whoever thought of that? I'll tell you what, they need a reward. Because it's a brilliant song. Simple. You're a good, good father, but I'm, and I'm loved by you. Boy, if we could get that in our hearts, really, if we'd really get that, that would transform our lives. To recognize in every situation, you're a good, good father. When things are going well, when the hundred pound check comes through the door, you're a good, good father. When the bill comes through the door, you're a good, good father. And I'm loved by you. And I'm loved by you. I'm loved by you in the storm. I'm loved by you in the midst of the mist. I'm loved by you when things are going well. I'm loved by you. See his love. Faith is a confidence in the goodness and trustworthiness of God. We can't always understand why things happen. Let me say that again. We can't always understand why things happen. But we trust in the goodness and trustworthiness of God. And unbelief is the opposite. Are there areas of your life where you're trusting in God? I hope so. It doesn't absolve us from making decisions, of course, or taking responsibility. We read of Job in the Bible. And the Bible devotes 42 chapters to his story, so it must be pretty important. Job, who suffers terribly right at the beginning of the book, suffers terribly, loses everything he's got apart from his life. And Job and his friends have all sorts of questions. You may have all sorts of questions in your life about things that have happened to you or happened to family or happened to friends or happened in the world. And you have questions about it. You have questioning God or his goodness. And Job is suffering here terribly. And his friends come and they seek an explanation as to why Job is suffering. And Job himself is seeking some kind of explanation. If you've never read the book of Job, could I just encourage you, if you haven't got time to read it all, read the first three or four chapters and read the last five, okay? And that will give you a sense here. Now, what does God say? What is God's answer to Job about his suffering? This is God's answer, and it's the same answer that he would give to you and me. This is who I am. This is who I am. And Job says this. Job, in fact, Job doesn't say, well, that's what you come up with. Who do you think you are? After all I've suffered, and this is what you come up with? My, oh, my. You're a big letdown, you are. No, Job doesn't say that. He says this. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust. And ashes. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, who's the most righteous man of his generation, has a vision of the Lord. He says, He sees the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filling the temple. His response is this Woe to me, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's the same with Jesus. The disciples' problem before Pentecost is they don't know Jesus well enough. Show us the Father, they say. They don't know him well enough. There will be things that you will go through in your life that you won't understand. There are things in my life that I have gone through I'd rather not have gone through. Do I sometimes think when I get to heaven I will ask? I have thought that. But then I think, when I get to heaven, I won't ask. I will see. I will see the king in his glory. And I won't need an explanation. And in fact, God doesn't owe me one anyway. I will see the king in his glory. And like the apostle John, who seemed to know Jesus the best, when he had this astounding vision of Jesus, he fell at his feet as though dead. Because he saw something that he'd never seen before. And it will be like that for you and me, I'm sure. God is committed to you. I want to say that now. God is committed to you. The cross of Christ demonstrates this. Nobody will be able to say, God, you didn't care. You didn't show that you cared. Because God has shown how much He loves us while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Unbelief says, unless you give me what I want when I want it, you're a bad dad. Faith says you're good and you must have a really good reason for not doing it that I don't know about. There must be a reason that I don't know about. My perspective is finite. God's is infinite. My wisdom is exceedingly limited. God's is unlimited. My power is minuscule. God's power is unlimited. My love waxes and wanes. God's love is totally constant. My love can be weak. God's love is always strong. My intentions are sometimes good, sometimes not so good. God's intentions are always good. You know, when it comes to unbelief, let's jettison it. Let's kick it out the door. Let's have no room for it. And let's seek to trust our heavenly father, the one who loves us. And he demonstrates it through sending his only son for him to shed his precious blood on the cross. Do you have a doubt that God's love you loves you? Look at the cross. We're going to break bread in a minute, and it's going to be an opportunity for us to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. See the Father. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. Now, a little bit of culture for you, just to finally come in to land. In Beethoven's opera, Fidelio, yep, I've seen it, (laughs) there's a scene where many prisoners are released from a dungeon. I don't remember anything else about the opera. Uh, but I do remember seeing that, and the only reason I went to see it anyway was because it was a school trip that somebody else had organized, so I was forced to go. It's not something I'd have chosen to go to, but there you go. So I went to see this opera, and all I remember is seeing the scene where the prisoners come out of a dungeon, a dark dungeon. And as they come out, you can just imagine, the light is they have to get used to being out in the light again, and they gradually come and they creep and they shuffle as they come out of the dungeon. It's a very powerful scene in the opera. And then they start to sing. And Jesus comes to release us from the dungeon of our unbelief, from our dungeon and our ignorance about who the Father is. If you've seen me, Jesus says, you've seen the Father. Jesus perfectly reflects who he is. In Fidelio, the opera, they sing this as they come out of the dungeon. Oh, what joy in the open air, freely to breathe again. Up here alone is life. The dungeon is a grave. We shall, with all our faith, trust in the help of God. Hope whispers softly in my ears. We shall be free. We shall find peace. Jesus comes to set us free from our unbelief through his death on the cross. He comes to reveal who God really is. And he comes to put a song in our mouth. Amen. Amen.